Marvelites, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 455. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Uh, if you're just joining us on This Week in Marvel for the first time, or maybe for the 455th time, we're going to talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's comics, games, movies, TV, whatever. Uh, cool stuff happening. But before we even get to that, a much more somber note. As the time of recording, we had just heard about the passing of Grant Imahara, who was a member of the Mythbusters crew, and he was a big Marvel fan. He was friend to many of us at Marvel. Years ago, myself, uh, new media producer Harry Goh, writer Frank Thierry, we were able to go to a taping of uh, some Mythbusters stuff in San Francisco where they were doing this cool experiment with... Um, paper armor uh, like an old school japanese way to make armor out of paper and they were doing all these tests and it was wild and it was cool and grant was just so kind and friendly and funny and you know i i think from i would see him you know once or twice a year from then on just hanging out talking on twitter and, and being pals and um yeah hearing about his passing uh really hit me today and that was sad and um to his friends his family all his fans um we extend our condolences but today we are celebrating the spirit and the love that grant shared with the world so we are going to move on and do our show as usual that's uh, right much love yeah uh and there's something that um is really fun really cool uh a chance for us to talk about ultraman because we've been hyping the rise of Ultraman number one, which is coming in September. And just recently, Lorraine, I saw that we saw some new variant covers for the first issue, right? And there was some really neat stuff. Uh, there's one that's by Arthur Adams that, man, that cover is incredible. I know. I thought it was really cool that they announced um, Ultraman number one coming in September on July 10th, which was considered Ultraman Day because it was his first appearance uh, on television in 1966 was actually on July 10th. So we just missed it by a hair with This Week of Marvel last week. So we, we wanted it to get in the show. Yeah, I love like Ultraman and, you know, some of my favorite kaiju properties have like contemporary roots with the birth of the Marvel age, you know, like that early to mid 60s. Yeah or late 50s even to, for some, such a great burst of creativity that we're still celebrating and loving today. And now we see something like Ultraman coming and, and being a Marvel comic that is just awesome. Yeah, and I think it's cool that The Rise of Ultraman number one is going to be written by Kyle Higgins, who's not only written for Winter Soldier, but also for Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which seems like chef's kiss, well, as look. well as Matt Groom. You know, the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers thing, you can connect the dots from oh, Power Rangers time. directly to Spider-Man because Japanese Spider-Man sort of birthed Super Sentai and then Super Sentai, you know, every iteration became different things. And all of those iterations of the Sentai series turned into Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in the US. And I have to stop or else I'm just going to get really excited and nerdy about all that stuff. <laughs> it's the best, though. It's totally the best. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what else was really fun? So this week we finally got to release this video that we filmed earlier in the year about Empire, but also about the Avengers' next big villain. That was the, the conversation that we were having with me, you, and Langston. And 
uh, I was really surprised to see how many people replied to that video and got really excited to talk about who is going to be the next big Avengers villain. And uh, a lot of people said Kang, the Conqueror, and a lot of people said Doctor Doom, also a Conqueror. <laughs> I mean, the two of them are among my favorites. I don't think of Doom as a traditional Avengers villain, of course, I mean, being a Fantastic Four sort of mainstay, but he's... Richards! <laughs> he's definitely clashed with the Avengers, but, you know, when I think of Avengers villains, Kang is top, right in the top of, of my list of who I think of. And he's got the best fashion with the big puffy sleeves, like very airy, <laughs> the thigh-high boots. And also, like, every iteration of Kang. So there's, like, Immortus and Iron Lad and all of his other Kangs in between. He is... Kang crazy. Oh boy, that was a tough <laughs> well, one. All know. right, I like it. <laughs> I'm just saying though, I love seeing Doctor Doom against the Avengers though, because with Breed, he has this sort of like, we're, we've always been at each other and I need to prove that I'm the best and maybe like still your woman, I don't know. But for the Avengers, he's sort of like, you ants under Doom's feet, away with you. Yeah. I kind of love that. Yeah. I mean, he, he sees himself as better than everyone. And let's be honest, Doom is better than everyone. I'm just going to put out, wow. out there right now. He's the best. You get yourself a metal catcher's mitt face. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you're I, better than everyone. Think Just think about it. Doom has got one of the most advanced suits of armor. He is one of the most powerful spellcasters in the universe. And also, he has a little holster on his hip with a little pistol and he like that pistol has got to be one of the most powerful weapons in existence pew, considering pew. yeah doom carries a little a little gun with him that's got to be intense i love doom so much he's but so cool he's got the time platform kang has got his little i assume that's the sound that makes chair yep that of uh, floating through time on his throne uh, so I don't know, like, uh, I just see a lot of time travel fun for both of them. I don't know. Yeah, it's great. Oh, fans uh, who haven't seen it can go check it out, of course, on Marvel's YouTube and on uh, Marvel.com and all the other places where we put up videos. I'm sure it's on, you know, we link to it on the Marvel Instagram and everywhere else. Yeah. Um, also, if, if you're in the watching mood, you should go over and watch my interview with Elizabeth Henstridge. It's on Twitch, uh, as well as all the other Marvel platforms. We did it live on this past Wednesday, but she announced, bum, 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 she is having her directorial debut on this season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. The episode itself uh, that she directed is going to be on Wednesday, the 22nd, this coming Wednesday at 10, 9 central on ABC. Uh, and she is just a gd delight she's the best she is like honestly the best it's just so nice like truly when you see elizabeth henstridge in an interview that is the same person you see when you run into her on the street she's yeah. just the most lovely happy soul our lives are better because of elizabeth henstridge it's true it's true you know what else is making our lives better marvel made it yeah. made our lives better. Yes, very yeah. good. We have finally unveiled Marvel Made. It's like this really cool new platform. It's going to have stuff that you've never seen before, like prestige Marvel products, collectibles, high-end collectibles um, that are going to be for so many fans. 
who I think are very much like Lorraine and I, certain collectibles that we like got to get our hands on. Um, the first one in the Marvel made series is the Marvel made with Scotty Young, uh, which is super cool. What's in the that collection? Well, this is actually, I think this is so cool too, that this is coming on, on the back of, you know, San Diego Comic-Con not being around this year because Everybody knows if you go to San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con or Chicago Comic-Con, one of the highlights of those conventions are getting Scotty Young's pins. So they're the Young style where they're like little cutie cute superhero guys. Uh, and in the Marvel Made premium bundle, there are 15 exclusive pins that just I'm going down the list. Iron Man, Captain America, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Black Widow, Ms. Marvel, Ghost Spider, Wolverine in his classic brown costume, Loki, Deadpool, Thor, Hulk, Absolute Carnage, House of X, Jean Grey, and then this one, the kicker, Advanced Suit Spider-Man from Marvel Spider-Man video game. Plus, it's also going to include this super cutie cute hardcover notebook that has Spider-Man in that advanced suit from Marvel's Spider-Man video game uh, variant outfit. The notebook itself is really cool because it has sort of like pages for writing and pages for sketching. And then there's also a variant cover for Excalibur number one. Now, one thing to keep in mind is that the Premier Bundle has 15 pins. Plus, if you're like, hey, I just really want to get some blind box pins, you can do that. But the blind boxes are only 10 of those pins. So if you want the other five, you got to get the Premier Bundle. The Premier Bundles are going to be available until August 7th or until they sell out, whichever comes first. And then the blind packs are also available until August 7th. So hurry up. Uh, they're not there for much longer. And they're gorgeous pins. They're really cool. The whole package is really, really, really nice. Um, so... If you're in the mood for some pins, this is your jam. But there are only 2,500 units, so you should get on it. Go pre-order now if you want your actual bundle because they are limited. They're very exclusive. You can check it all out at marvelmade.net. Uh, today's guest is uh, Al Jean, showrunner, writer, producer, sort of veteran uh, man about town for The Simpsons. And this is really cool. This was one where I think you and I just like geeked out like crazy about it. Yeah, we we were so thrilled that we just got to have him on the show and uh, just listen to our genuine bubbling joy the entire time we talked to Al Jean. Hello, Al. How are you? I'm very good. How are you guys? We're great. We're so excited to get to talk to you. Going to be honest, we are in a much coveted position here at Marvel because there are so many huge fans of your work. Oh, that's great. I, I feel the same. So, Al, you've had an illustrious career with The Simpsons, um, but uh, where did you start and where are you now? I was one of the original writers for the series, and then in season three, I became one of the showrunners. And that's basically a position where if anything goes wrong, it's your fault. <laughs> and I did it for seasons three and four, and I've done it for seasons 13 on, um, in conjunction, the first with Mike Reese and later with Matt Selman, who are both fantastic. But it's it's a very, very difficult job because you're the steward of this thing that everyone loves. And, you know, if you don't do what they want, you're going to hear about it. So you really have to just constantly be trying to think ahead. You know, how can you do something fresh, but but still make it the same beloved characters that everyone knows? 
what what is your Marvel origin story in terms of like understanding the characters, getting introduced to Marvel, the stories, you know, or even being a fan of any sort? Uh, I remember really clearly buying a DC comic when I was a kid, and I was reading it when I wasn't supposed to, so my dad grabbed it and tore it up. And the second <laughs> comic I got was a Marvel. Uh, it was Fantastic Four number sixty four, and um, I, I was just stunned. I mean, because it was so beautiful, uh, you know, so just ahead of anything I'd ever seen, like you know, in a comic book. So I just thought this is amazing. And I had a friend who collected them and you know had a bunch, and so he got me into it. And um, I, I sort of paused, and then I came back really heavy with it when I got a little older. And I remember my big peak as a kid was I traded 32 comics to get Fantastic Four number one. Wow. Do you still have it? I still have it. It's <gasps> not in great shape. It doesn't matter. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's got very old piece of tape on it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's in the garage. It's well loved. Yes. Did you read any other Marvel comics when you were younger? I mean, Fantastic Four is kind of at that point you can't beat it, but was there anything else from Marvel that piqued your interest? Oh yeah. I remember I would go down the whole checklist. So I'd have Spider-Man, Thor, Avengers, uh, Captain America, Iron Man, uh, Submariner, Daredevil. I would also even, I'd buy like old issues of Millie the model because they'd have ads for the comics I liked. <laughs> so you could see, you know, the ad and, and it would be funny because they were written by the same writers. She would go like, this is, this is a funny thing that they're doing. <laughs> but you know what? I do think that um, all of those Millie the Model comics really did inform the later days because who had more drama, more girl problems than Spider-Man? Millie ran for so long, too. It's, it's like I, Millie's so important to the history of Marvel. Um, it, I love hearing that she was a part of, you know, your Marvel history. I was born in 1961, so anything that I could find back from 62, 63, I would just treasure. Man, those are good. Those are good comic years. Everybody was born during those years also. <laughs> you know, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Spider-Man, all of uh, the Avengers all kind of happened within those first few years. So it was you. You hearkened the new years of the Marvel Universe. It's crazy. I mean, yeah, I'm almost exactly as old as the Fantastic Four, and, and I remember... As a kid, if I had a time machine, the one thing I would have done is go back and been able to buy it for 10 cents. <laughs> I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone after Hitler. I just would have gotten <laughs> And I, I had the privilege of meeting Stanley. And, you know, I said, what did you do, you know, with those? You had the, tons of them. He goes, I threw them out. I threw them all out. Oh, man, that makes me so bummed out. <laughs> I understand the artists would keep a lot of their artwork because that was one of a kind and they'd worked so hard long on it. But nope, that's it. They're all they That's why they were precious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speaking of you, you've had quite an incredible writing career. When did you start writing? Uh, I started in college. Um, my roommate was on the Harvard Lampoon and I thought, wow, these people are just really funny the ones I met through him and it wasn't a um, professional thing at the time. It was just something where I thought this is just a great place. And I actually work with people I've met then I still work with. And um, then a couple of national influence writers saw our stuff and wanted us to work for the magazine. So we did uh, out of college. And then we came to LA to work on the movie airplane Two, 
which was a great movie if you never saw Airplane One. <laughs> Very original. <laughs> <in that movie. laughs> I uh, personally, I love Airplane Two. It's the spaceship one, right? Yes. Yeah, I I watched that yeah. a ton growing up as a kid. Yeah, oh, that's too. funny. My 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 little brother watched it when it came out, and he just said it's Airplane too much like the first one. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you mentioned your roommate. Was that Mike Reese or was that somebody else? How did you start working with Mike? Yeah, he had gone to Harvard to try to get on the Harvard Lampoon. He had heard of it, and um, he had always wanted to be a comedy writer. Uh, and he achieved it really quickly and I just sort of like <laughs> drafted in his wake and, and, uh, yeah, I still work with him. He works on the Simpsons every Wednesday. So yeah, we've been friends for 40 years. That's amazing. Wait, you started school early too, didn't you? Didn't you graduate high school young? I graduated high school at 16, which, uh, it was weird, you know, like I could just drive, you know, right when I was a senior and, uh, so, you know, when people go to college, they're always looking, you know, for the group that they can hang out with. And that was what I found. My group was the Lampoon people. And, you know, subsequently, you know, many of us got jobs in television and the Simpsons or Saturday Night Live and, and then became a place to go if you wanted to work in television. But it wasn't at the time. It was just, just the place where you would go to get ruin your grades and not study. <laughs> <laughs> so then what brought you into animation and the Simpsons? I, you know, I'd always been a fan of shows like Bullwinkle, especially, or, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons. And Sam Simon uh, was developing the show with Matt Groening, and he was looking for a writing team. And these uh, friends of ours, Lampoon, Gamble, and Frost, they weren't available. And so we got the job at Simpsons two days a week, right? When it was just, we were looking at the shorts and, and trying to turn it into a half-hour show. And... I, I, you know, who knew it would still be going 31 years later, but I did think when I was hired that it was going to be something that was a great show that people would pay attention to just between Matt's work, which I was familiar with in Life in Hell, and between Jim Brooks and Sam Simon, who had done Taxi and all these other great shows that I loved growing up. I remember those shorts, too. Like, back in the old days. Man, that takes me back. They were really funny. Um, they aren't shown as much just because there's so many of the half hours and they were a little cruder, of course, because they were they preceded it. But they were great. I, I saw them at that. They were really funny. You know, they had not just the four family cast members. They also had Grandpa in the shorts and Itchy and Scratchy and Krusty. A lot of the stuff that was in the series was already in the shorts. Can you tell us a little bit about what the old writer's room was like? Because, you know, I think of the writer's room there and it reminds me there's a lot of things about The Simpsons that remind me about Marvel. We'll talk about some of that. But like just the idea of like a bullpen and the wackiness of Marvel. What was was that anything like what the like a writer's room was for The Simpsons? Well, it's funny because I, I used to imagine the Marvel bullpen a lot. And then, you know, recently, last few years, read a history of Marvel that said, there wasn't really much of a, of a bullpen. It was just uh, Stan and Flo, and she would keep people from bugging him. <laughs> and the artists <laughs> would, drop off, would drop off their artwork. And some of them didn't even want to see Stan, like Steve Ditko. So, you know, it was all this amazing creation of Stan Lee that there, there was this bustling room full of all these people. In terms of The Simpsons, you know, the first season, it was, you know, just two days a week, Mike and I coming in and working with, Sam and Matt, sometimes Jim. Once it got going as a series, yeah, we had a room of about eight writers. And it, it was fun. And, and somebody like Conan O'Brien really was like 
about as funny in person as you can be and trying to be funny even when it wasn't about the script. But it was mostly just lots and lots of work and still is. I mean, it's it was just people going, OK, you know, God, the, we were doing 24 shows a year at that time and we hadn't realized how hard it was to do 24 back to back. So there was a point where we were working literally 80 hour weeks and, and just trying to get everything like done and funny. It was people who were all really brilliant and all really fun. But like people go, what's a funny story? I go, well, once like Conan stuck a big piece of caramel on the ceiling. And then two years later, I ate a piece of it. <laughs> that's, what, <laughs> that's, the, that's the big excitement of the room. <laughs> you, you talk about the, those hours and how hard it is. But the, the other fascinating part is the longevity for so much of the team and how long people stick around. Like it is, you, you say it's difficult and it's long and everything, but it seems like it feels like it might be rewarding and exciting. And, and there's something special that the team feels about creating this show. Yeah, I would credit it to Jim and Matt, you know, both A, that they started something that has, has lasted this long and that people love so much and B, that it's been such a great place to work. It's really not about, you know, your ego or your, you know, specific contribution. It's about making the end product good and we're always careful to give credit to other people, you know, and stair material that does well. It's a very inclusive, non-competitive environment. And um, that's why people work there and never want to leave, certainly myself included. You've also gotten to work on like just some of the coolest, most fun things. I mean, it's been such a huge part of culture at this point also you got me personally written up in school so (laughs) for wearing a shirt i wasn't supposed to (laughs) well i'll tell you a story about that which is my older daughter went to a school where they would have a handbook that said do not wear um t-shirts to school e.g bart simpson they specified no simpson t-shirts but then by the time my younger daughter went there it was all about can we get some simpson cells for the school auction Oh, they, of course. They turned How around. How times change? No, I'm I'm glad you can remember when it was so. Yeah, I mean, I, I say to to younger people like I go, yeah, you know, it was really like controversial and people were you know shocked by it, and they go, really? And I go, oh, you can't believe those first shows where people now find very sweet and kind of reassuring. I go, no, it was like all hell had broken loose on television, and <laughs> and people were denouncing us, and it was crazy. There's a photo that I have on my phone, and it's me, must oh be like God. nine years old, 10 years old, posing with a Bart Simpson Eat My Shorts t-shirt on, uh, yep. <laughs> which is just the best. It's so ridiculous. And my mom wouldn't have, she wouldn't have, she was like, oh, it's a cartoon. He's fine. Everything's great. We got away with so much stuff because, I mean, you know, there was nudity. There was, you know, the first time that you had seen like a guy's butt crack on 8, 8 p.m. television. And it's funny because now animation and it's great has, has blossomed in television and in features and, and in TV, there's stuff that's just so far, you know, beyond, you know, what we could have gotten away with at the beginning. We used to have to put warnings at the Halloween show beginnings just to say, you're going to see something that's really terrifying. And these are ones where it was like the body count was a lot lower and, you know, it wasn't nearly as scary as they are now. Um, and, and I like to think, you know, that, we still do pretty much the same show and the same with the same perspective and the same you know way of doing it. Um, and it's just that the spectrum has moved, but we haven't. How did it feel for you guys in the writer's room when there started to be this sort of like crackle of, oh my gosh, this isn't just animation for like 
three-year-olds. This is for everybody. Well, how did you guys feel about it in that time? It was fantastic. One thing that happened was it was a summer job, but it hadn't gone on the air when we left. We went back to the Gary Shandling show, which was a great show, but for some reason it was last in the ratings. And then The Simpsons came out and it was first in the ratings, pretty much. And, and so we're sitting there going, well, maybe we're not so bad. It's <laughs> a great ace to have in your in your pocket. And then it was nuts. You you probably remember, you know, you could walk down the street and you would hear somebody talking about the Simpsons. It was, you know, I, I'll never be in the Beatles, I assume. So it was the closest <laughs> thing I could imagine to being part of a phenomenon like Beatlemania. I mean, it was so huge when it came out. And my biggest fear when we took over in season three was that we were getting, you know, control of this thing that was so beloved. And I didn't want to be the one who ended it. You know, I, I had seen, I'd worked on ALF, which was still so it's the highest rated show I ever worked on in terms of numbers. But after four seasons, it was off the air. And I was always definitely afraid that we, you know, wanted to avoid something like that. Well, congrats. You kicked Thanks. everybody's butt. <laughs> 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 I can relax a little now, except we still don't. We still work very hard. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you've gotten to talk to Stan a couple of times. When he's come in to do cameos for the show, did you get to chat with him? Yeah, I went to I went to lunch with him twice, and that was both times was a total blast. And we did a DVD commentary with him where I got to ask questions I'd always wanted. Like, you know, you said the watcher would never interfere with anything, but all he does is interfere with everything. <laughs> He goes, I don't know. I don't know why that happened. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had him show up in, in one of his cameos and he, he like he has a line that's like the watcher, oh, yeah, which I like from the watcher. I cracked. He's up. like I only observe or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great character though. He really is. Oh, the best. I think we're all looking at on our team, like the various Marvel like references and Easter eggs and various things on the show. Just, you know, watching some episodes uh, and some clips with J.K. Simmons, um, which was really fun. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And we had him doing in the J. Jonah Jameson voice. Yeah, he was doing What Did he? I thought there was one episode where he was uh, Jonah for a, a bit, but then he also plays a character that's exactly like Jonah, which with uh, he was the editor for Marge's paper, which was so fun. Yeah. Uh, and he was a tabloid editor. I mean, it was. Yeah, we were just you know, doing what he did in Marvel. And then it was funny because then Whiplash was him doing the same guy as a music teacher. So then we had him play a music teacher. He's just so funny. I mean, the, the, the diction and the and the character, I, I was so happy when he got an Oscar. He, by the way, and I were born on the same day in the same town, but not the same year. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Also, there is um somebody that needs no name, the comic book guy, uh, Jeffrey Albertson. Who hurt you? Why Why was he had the roughest time? The poor comic book guy, the unsung hero of The Simpsons. I, I'll tell you, this is a formative thing. I won't name the, <laughs> the person, but it was a comic book store. And I read an article that said, comic book collectors, ask your uh, comic book store if you can look in the basement for their old issues. And I asked him and he said, hell no. <laughs> 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 and, this, there was this funny thing where I don't know what his method was, but he had like these great, you know, Spider-Man, like 13 and stuff. When I would go, and it was a long way to go, I either had to walk five miles or get a ride from my mom. He would never put the, those comics out. And then I had this friend, he would go, oh, I just went there today. They had Spider-Man number 12. I'm like, 
why is it always him? It was so frustrating. <laughs> and I'm sure they were selling them for like a dollar max or oh. something. You know, I mean, the prices then were just so crazily. I remember I did a report on comic books when I was in um, seventh grade and I pasted a price list into the report and you could buy, I think Superman won for a hundred dollars. Like that was the top wow. a comic book cost. I know. There was no grading, so I don't know what condition that would have been in. But, yeah, Sam Simon told me he had asked his dad for one for his birthday, but his dad said, eh, not $100 for a comic book. That's too much. <laughs> I was watching – there's an episode in season 30 called 101 Mitigations, and uh, Homer wrecks comic book guy's car, and he's got a like a near like a nine point nine graded copy of Radioactive Man number one, and there's this long gag where Bart is explaining to he's whispering to Homer uh, how much comic books can be worth nowadays, and it's just it keep I like I, it was so good, and I I have to watch the show with closed captions because I have a baby and I can't always like hear what's going on on this on on a show and there was no captions there and that made me crack up even more it wasn't even like oh that's really funny (laughs) yeah no that was like me as a kid trying to explain to my dad you know and it was always my own money i'd be spending on them but you know he he would have a similar thing like why are you spending ten dollars on this comic and it would be you know no no they're they're valuable and you know what i should have done is preserve them better obviously you know like i didn't realize that till i was like in my 20s but it was you know preposterous that you know to people who grew up in the 30s and 40s like my dad like that these things could be worth so much also there have been so many amazing marvel themed you know the 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 credits moment the everyone rushing to the couch moment there's been the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Thanos snap. Do, how do you guys choose who gets their uh, moment on the couch? You know, we've done so many couch gags that it, it just um, was, uh, we, if we thought of one, like the X-Men one, we'd go, oh, this is great. This will be a really cool one to do. And that one, we had Stan Lee appear and go, there's nothing too short for me to cameo. <laughs> <laughs> he appeared in the couch gag only. <laughs> Um, and then Thanos was just because after that first movie, I was like, oh, my God, this is the biggest thing that I ever was. Like, everyone's going to see this movie. It was insane. The couch gags are some of my favorite things. And then as you go along, you bring in a lot of artists. They do their own. And there was one of the episodes I was watching today had Bill Plimpton. Like, it's not even the regular intro. It's Homer singing a song. And like it like got me. It's the Bill Plimpton's art, and it's just emotional, and it's a beautiful piece. And then there was another one. That, like some of them are so weird in the best ways. Why did you guys start going that route for some of the gags? The reason it started was because my wife had suggested we see Exit to the Gift Shop with Banksy, and uh, of course I thought it was a great movie. And we were out to dinner afterwards, and it hit me: Why don't we act as if Banksy graffiti our opening credits? So, you know, first we had to find him and our casting director tried through the producer of Exit Through the Gift Shop. And we got a hold of Banksy through email. I still don't know whether Banksy is a man or a woman or it could be a collective. I mean, I really only communicated through writing. Um, so Banksy did the first one. And then once that happened, we found, you know, it was really a huge thing when people were shocked. And we could a you know approach other people who were fantastic about doing it like Bill Plimpton and B it was a great thing to, to throw into episodes and we're I'm glad to say uh, Bill is going to work on another one for us. You know we were talking about comic book guy 
I was thinking of Spider Pig because, you know, recently people were like, what is Spider Ham? Oh my gosh, this is like, they took, they just stole Spider Pig from The Simpsons. And I was like, no, Spider Ham is from like the mid 80s. What's going on? Who That's came correct. up with it's, the. Uh, Peter Porker preceded Spider Pig. Right. Spider Pig was like this very late addition to the Simpsons movie. We had been working on it for four years. And then David Merkin pitched the joke where Homer was doing different things. And Marge said, How do these pig footprints get on the ceiling? And I said, and Homer say, you know, he's the amazing spider pig. And then we started singing that song and it became <laughs> part of the show. And then like suddenly it's in every commercial. Um, but yeah, no, we, I was aware of, it just wasn't, you're not like, we weren't there going, okay, we're going to make this the, the integral part of the movie. It just, it just happened. So I was glad to see in the spider verse that spider ham came back. Thanks. And, and I'm sure large part to spider pig. I, I, I love combinations of spiders and pigs i love charlotte's web so it's all good <laughs> um you know lorraine and i being marvel people we were also like theme park people and we get excited we've gone to you know all the the disney parks and universal parks to to see all the marvel stuff a bunch of times and i went to universal and i like lost it in in all the the simpsons area have you been there what's your reaction when you walk through and see like all of this lifelike to go into mo's bar and I was the guy that pitched the name Flaming Mo, and now it sells for eight ninety five. I am astounded. <laughs> I mean, it's like so surreal. I should say again, another thing that we um, let's say stole from Spider Man. The the ride I loved the most. Uh, I love Disneyland, but the the best you know ride I thought for its time was the Spider Man ride at Universal, mm-hmm. and that had a lot of influence on the Simpsons ride. You know, just sort of like the stuff that we thought, oh, we'll be able to have them do. Um, yeah. and yeah, the, the Simpsons both, you know, when the parks reopen universal, uh, Florida and uh, Hollywood, the Simpson area is just great. If you're a fan, you, you'll just go nuts. Yeah. Those huge donuts though. They're too big for one person is what I learned. Well, I want to move from sweet to spooky because I love in the Halloween <laughs> episodes, the, the, the staff names that you guys have are so fun. Um, and it reminded me as, you know, putting together the, this talk, like, that's something, you know, so Stan and, and like Stan Lee creating wacky names for everybody. And that tradition that we've had in comics, was that any part of the creation for what you guys were doing there? Uh, it was my suggestion and it was totally based on Marvel. Although I found <laughs> out that Marvel had done it based on EC because they had these really scary names like Oozing Joe Orlando and stuff. But <laughs> that, that was this amazing gift of Stan's, which was... Um, he would have these names for the writers and artists and, and, you know, you would feel like they were this community of, you know, like really cool people that hung out and, and that there was this institution and, you know, as a kid, you thought, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And, and it was just really him in a room, you know, with these, I mean, I was with these brilliant, you know, writer artists coming and going, but you know, it, it just was, he, he, the imagination of it was so amazing. I mean, it really, DC, you never sensed like that there was like this community. It was just like these things put together in an office. But Marvel, you just said, oh, my God, it's this whole like sensibility. And it, it, it fit the 60s so perfectly. Lorraine and I got to befriend um, Flo before she passed. She used to, she worked at Marvel for years while we were there. And um, I shared an office with our boss, John Cirilli. And she would just come in and sit down in a chair and just be like, you know, asking questions. I'm not going to do a Flo Steinberg voice, but she was the sweetest, but also 
so biting. The cutest New York accent. Cutest New York accent, but like also she would just deal on anybody. Anybody in the office who was <laughs> who was like pissing her off on any day. She was funny. She had stories. And, oh my god, she, I, I I love stories about her. Uh, yeah, my wife and I, I think she's just the coolest. You know, and and running that office. I mean, yeah, like the, the, all this stuff. I, that, that, what a thrill that must have been. To know Fabulous Flow is, was a gift. I like her passing destroyed me. I remember when we were at Comic Con and we got it was the poorly the news. timed for we, us, especially. Yeah, I was like crying on our like steps of our live stream booth because she was our friend. She would come in and for our, you know, she would come in and she would bring stuff from like old world's fairs to to John, our our boss, and she'd be like, John, do you want this? I don't need this anymore. And like have stories about <laughs> different things she did. And man, she was just the best. And didn't she have to like take the one dollars that kids would send in and send them their thing? And I, I, you know, and I got a no prize when I was a kid, which was just the envelope with nothing in it. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you get it for? Oh, uh, I, I think I had some question. Ironic, did something to do the Simpsons about how um, the characters don't age, even though the comic, you know, book is twenty years old. Uh, I don't know if the letter was ever printed because I never remember seeing it. But I did get the no prize in the mail, so I think I asked for one, so they gave me one. That was really cool. Oh, somewhere it might it might be uh, shoved in some editor's folder. We'll have to <laughs> look when we can go visit the office. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It was a long time ago. It was probably like 74 or something. But I definitely, I definitely had the no prize. I, I don't know when I lost it, but I had the envelope on my bulletin board for years as a kid. Uh, I was also thinking, especially watching some of the episodes from season 29 and 30 today, like after 30 plus years, you guys have this huge, you have a full, wonderful universe. And watching episodes, you get to throw in cameos and references to all the Simpsons stuff without like calling attention to it, you know, character will show up or there's something in the background, which reminds me so much of what makes Marvel so wonderful. And so it feels like something you are, are a part of. Absolutely. And I remember we did put in one episode just the way Stan used to go, you know, do you remember them from Fantastic Four to, you know, Sensible Stan or whatever in the, in the you know, uh, the box of, of the, of the comic. And, um, we would we did that in an episode. It was all it is all like influenced by that. And another way, you know, it was influenced is like uh, I would see when they would do something like the Spider Clone, how people got infuriated that this clone had been Spider Man for ten years. <laughs> no one <laughs> seemed to have caught it, and uh, and it made me go never make a change to the Simpsons universe that's permanent like that. That that suddenly screws with everybody's understanding of the way the characters have been. So every you know. I, I always say if I had to do a last episode, which I don't think is, is imminent, but if, if I did, I would have them getting ready to go to the Christmas pageant that starts the first episode so that the whole show is a closed loop with no beginning or end. Whoa, that's so cool. Yeah, because it's the same, like, you know, Spider-Man doesn't, I mean, you know, they, they killed Superman, but you knew he was coming back. I mean, yeah, it, these things, these characters don't, nobody wants them to end or to age. And that's one of the things that's so cool about The Simpsons, and I think the Marvel Universe shares that, is our our characters don't really generally grow old or go away um, unless you get hit by a t-shirt gun. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was an uh, exception. That wasn't me, though. I didn't, I didn't. That was Gwen Stacy. That was the Gwen Stacy of The Simpsons Universe. Oh, I remember that clearly as it happened, too. And I 
that what people had forgotten a little bit, there was a letter somebody wrote that was published. And what happened was Gwen Stacy's father died and she got mad uh, and, and sort of left Peter Parker's life. And they said, you're doing the exact same thing you did with Betty Brandt and her brother. And I remember the guy in the letter said, congratulations, Mr. Lee, you've created the world's first cyclical comic book. And the answer said, very few letters have shaken up our leader as much as yours did. And so then I, I know it wasn't his suggestion, but uh, when it was brought to him, you know, he approved Gwen Stacy dying. And again, as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, this is so sad. This is horrible. And and then, you know, as a writer years later, I go, you know, she was like such a less interesting character than Mary Jane. You know, it was just such a um, it, it was a, like a great thing to do, like. To, to make again the comics just like the the most interesting and mature you know expressions of the form that there had, had ever been. Yeah, and and I I do think you know where else in the world could we have a family drama that lasts this many seasons than with an animated family, or you know the the pages of a comic book where the art can be the same age and tell the same kinds of fun exciting stories every single week without having to grow up and nobody ever goes through puberty. No, nobody wants, I mean, we've experimented. We've shown the future as it might be for the Simpsons. We've gone into the past, but when people talk about, Oh, would you do a time jump and do a whole season in, in, you know, five years in the future, I would just go, nobody wants that. Nobody wants to lock it into that. Hopefully we'll never get to that point. Never end the Simpsons. That's, that's a request to you. Good sir. And I think that's a perfect way to wrap up this episode. Al, Thank you so much. Uh, You've been incredible. I love nerding out on Marvel. I can't, I can't overstate its influence on me. And um, the one table read where we had Stan and then, you know, Jim Brooks and Matt Groening at the same read, I just was like, this is just insane. Like these three legendary <laughs> guys all, all here together. I, I never, you know, so many things have happened in my life. I never would expect it, but to be someone who met Stan Lee and, and then had him on the show and then had him bugging me to put him back on the show. <laughs> that sounds like Stan. Yep. Great man. A wonderful man. Every time I met him, it was, it was just what I dreamed. Thanks so much, Al. Thank, Thank you. you Al. Once again, big thanks to Al Jean for coming on the show. So of course, check out the Simpsons. You can watch, 30 plus seasons of The Simpsons on Disney Plus, which is what I've been doing uh, when I've been able to get to my television. It's so good. Um, I I rewatched the Mark Hamill episode where he's at Comic Con and Homer becomes his bodyguard, <laughs> and it's great. The end. Fantastic. Question of the week. Next week we're going to be talking a bit more about Emperor Hulkling, uh, and I want to know what is your favorite. Hulkling Wiccan moment. Share those moments with us on social media, hashtag This Week in Marvel, or you can email them to us at twinpodcast at marvel.com, or you can message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Yeah. Oh, man. Favorite Wiccan and Hulkling moments. Gosh. There's plenty of Young Avengers to go into. Uh, there's some really fun stuff in Al Ewing's New Avengers uh, between them, and much, much more but we also have some stuff from community we have a couple from the tech lord at lex pendragon one of them touching on something that came up in marvel's pull list which of course you can listen to uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, marvel's pull list uh, is our show about comics every week and we do reading clubs there one of them was about spider verse and lex says 
Is the spider girl in the skimpy outfit that you referenced in your talk this one? If so, it's Betty Brandt from What If Number 7 from February 1978. Uh, that is the one that we were talking about. That is some outfit, too. It is a 70s glam spider woman outfit. See that one? Lauren? I love that she I love that she's wearing the full mask, but then she's essentially wearing like a one-piece strapless bathing suit and thigh-high spider boots. So it's like she's business on the top and bottom, but party in the middle. But also she's got gloves on and then the underarm spider webs that what are they connected to? Look like armpit to? hair? They look like armpit hair. I mean it's <laughs> She's in quarantine too. She gets it. <laughs> it is <laughs> You're a welcome. terrific look. Uh, Lex also went on to say, calling out his friend, saying, This Week of Marvel just covered how the thing was from Yancey Street, which was actually Delancey Street. Clearly, they spied on our happy hour regarding Fantastic Four Atlantis attacks. Expect their call. We were spying on you with our friend Greg Young from the Bowery Boys when we were talking about New York City and Delancey versus Yancey Street in the Marvel Universe. Uh, so you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, let's get a tweet in here from our pal at Jason D Kim three eight oh eight comic book fan. He says, stop watching the Simpsons and check out the latest episode of this week in Marvel with Lorraine, Ryan and James Monroe. Iglehart. They covered an important topic in this episode, alien versus predator. Ryan, Lorraine and James briefly spoke about both movie franchises and they chose sides. But Jason says, I see a squirrel girl versus alien versus predator miniseries coming soon. Aloha. And he also bought some really nice, hardcovers of Predator and Aliens comics from that were released by Dark Horse. He bought them from his favorite comic shop, Dragon's Lair in Hawaii. I'm just saying if Squirrel Girl were to fight Alien and Predator at the same time, Squirrel Girl always wins. She's unbeatable. She is unbeatable. There you go. So that is my dream. <laughs> <laughs> I would I actually think that could be And Tippy Toe cool. will fight the tiny mouth. Oh, oh, God. <laughs> Maybe the tiny mouth likes nuts and then tippy toe can share nuts and then that's how they become friends. I don't know. There's a lot of ways this could go. There's there's a lot happening in all of that. So I think we're best to just move past it. This episode of This Week at Marvel was produced by Percy of Berlin, Zachary Goldberg, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the Bartman. <laughs> I don't remember the tune to that song at all, even though I had the CD as a child. Oh, man. Bartman. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.